Section 28 of the Underground Railroad, Part 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. The Underground Railroad, Part 3, by William Still. Section 28. Arrival from North Carolina, 1857. Harry Grimes, George Upshur, and Edward Lewis. Feet slit for running away. Flogged. Stabbed. Stayed in the hollow of a big poplar tree. Visited by a snake. Abode in a cave. The coming of the passengers here noticed was announced in the subjoined letter from Thomas Garrett. Wilmington, 11th month, 25th, 1857 respected friend william still i write to inform thee that captain fountain has arrived this evening from the south with three men one of which is nearly naked and very lousy he has been in the swamps of carolina for eighteen months past one of the others has been some time out i would send them on to-night but will have to provide two of them with some clothes before they can be sent by railroad I have forgotten the number of thy house, as most likely all are more or less lousy, having been compelled to sleep together, I thought best to write thee, so that thee may get a suitable place to take them to, and meet them at Broad and Prime Streets on the arrival of the cars, about eleven o'clock to-morrow evening. I have engaged one of our men to take them to his house, and go to Philadelphia with them to-morrow evening johnson who will accompany them is a man in whom we can confide please send me the number of thy house when thee writes thomas garrett this epistle from the old friend of the fugitive thomas garrett excited unusual interest preparation was immediately made to give the fugitives a kind reception and at the same time to destroy their plagues root and branch without mercy they arrived according to appointment the cleansing process was carried into effect most thoroughly, and no vermin were left to tell the tale of suffering they had caused. Straightway the passengers were made comfortable in every way, and the spirit of freedom seemed to be burning like fire shut up in the bones. The appearance alone of these men indicated their manhood and wonderful natural ability. The examining committee were very desirous of hearing their story without a moment's delay as harry from having suffered most was the hero of this party and withal was an intelligent man he was first called upon to make his statement as to how times had been with him in the prison house from his youth up he was about forty-six years of age according to his reckoning full six feet high and in muscular appearance was very rugged and in his countenance were evident marks of firmness he said that he had been born a slave in north carolina and had been sold three times he was first sold when a child three years of age the second time when he was thirteen years old and the third and last time he was sold to jesse moore from whom he fled prior to his coming into the hands of moore he had not experienced any very hard usage at least nothing more severe than fell to the common lot of slave boys 
therefore the period of his early youth was deemed of too little interest to record in detail in fact time only could be afforded for noticing very briefly some of the more remarkable events of his bondage the examining committee confined their interrogations to his last taskmaster how did moore come by you was one of the inquiries he bought me said harry of a man by the name of taylor nine or ten years ago he was as bad as he could be couldn't be any worse to be alive he was about fifty years of age when i left him a right red-looking man big-bellied old fellow weighs about two hundred and forty pounds he drinks hard he is just like a rattlesnake just as cross and crabbed when he speaks seems like he could go through you he flogged richmond for not ploughing the corn good that was what he pretended to whip him for richmond ran away was away four months as nigh as i can guess then they catched him then struck him a hundred lashes and then they split both his feet to the bone and split both his insteps and then master took his knife and stuck it into him in many places after he done him that way he put him into the barn to shucking corn for a long time he was not able to work when he did partly recover he was set to work again we ceased to record anything further concerning richmond although not a fourth part of what harry narrated was put upon paper the account was too sickening and the desire to hear harry's account of himself too great to admit of further delay so harry confined himself to the sufferings and adventures which had marked his own life briefly he gave the following facts i have been treated bad one day we were grubbing and master said we didn't do work enough how came there was no more work done that day said master to me i told him i did work in a more stormy manner he repeated the question then i spoke up and said massa i don't know what to say at once massa plunged his knife into my neck causing me to stagger massa was drunk he then drove me down to the black folks houses cabins of the slaves he then got his gun called the overseer and told him to get some ropes while he was gone i said massa now you are going to tie me up and cut me all to pieces for nothing i would just as soon leave you would take your gun and shoot me down as to tie me up and cut me all to pieces for nothing in a great rage he said go i jumped and he put up his gun and snapped both barrels at me he then set his dogs on me but as i had been in the habit of making much of them feeding them and etc they would not follow me and i kept on straight to the woods my master and the overseer cutched the horses and tried to run me down but as the dogs would not follow me they couldn't make nothing of it it was last of august a year ago the devil was into him and he flogged and beat four of the slaves one man and three of the women and said if he could only get hold of me he wouldn't strike me nary a lick but would tie me to a tree and empty both barrels into me in the woods i lived on nothing you may say and something too i had bread and roasting ears and taters i stayed in the hollow of a big poplar tree for seven months the other part of the time i stayed in a cave i suffered mighty bad with the cold and for something to eat once i got me some charcoal and made me a fire in my tree to warm me and it liked to killed me so i had to take the fire out one time a snake come to the tree poked its head in the hollow and was coming in 
and I took my axe and chopped him in two. It was a poplar-leaf moccasin, the poisonous kind of a snake we have. While in the woods all my thoughts was how to get away to a free country. Subsequently, in going back over his past history, he referred to the fact that on an occasion, long before the cave and tree existence already noticed, when suffering under this brutal master, he sought protection in the woods, and abode twenty-seven months in a cave before he surrendered himself or was captured. His offense in this instance was simply because he desired to see his wife, and stole away from his master's plantation, and went a distance of five miles to where she lived to see her. For this grave crime his master threatened to give him a hundred lashes and to shoot him. In order to avoid this punishment he escaped to the woods, etc. The lapse of a dozen years and recent struggles for an existence made him think lightly of his former troubles, and he would doubtless have failed to recall his earlier conflicts, but for the desire manifested by the committee to get all the information out of him they could. He was next asked, had you a wife and family? Yes, sir, he answered, I had a wife and eight children, belonged to the widow Slade. Harry gave the names of his wife and children as follows, wife Susan, and children Oliver, Sadie, Washington, Daniel, Jonas, Harriet, Moses, and Rosetta, the last named he had never seen. Between my mistress and my master there was not much difference. Of his comrades, time admitted of writing out only very brief sketches as follows. Edward Lewis one hundred dollar reward ran away from the subscriber on the seventh of november negro slave edgar he is thirty-six years old six feet high of dark brown complexion very high forehead is a little bald and is inclined to stoop in the shoulders edgar says he was raised in norfolk county has worked about norfolk several years i bought him at the auction house of messrs Pullem and davis the 20th of July, 1856. The bill of sale was signed by W. Y. Milmer for James A. Billisoli, administrator of G. W. Chambers, deceased. He told one of my Negroes he was going to Norfolk to sell some plunder he had there, then go to Richmond, steal his wife, get on board a boat about Norfolk, and go to a free state. He can read and write well and I have no doubt he has provided himself with papers of some kind. He may have purchased the papers of some free negro. I will give the above reward of one hundred dollars to any person who will arrest and confine him so I can get him. C. H. Gay. My post office is Laurel, North Carolina, number 21. The above advertisement, which was cut from a southern paper, brought light in regard to one of the passengers at least, it was not often that a slave was so fortunate as to get such a long sketch of himself in a newspaper. The description is so highly complimentary that we simply endorse it as it stands. The sketch as taken for the record book is here transcribed as follows. Edward reported himself from Franklin County, North Carolina, where, according to statement, a common farmer by the name of Carter Gay owned him, under whose oppression his life was rendered most unhappy, who stinted him daily for food, and barely allowed him clothing enough to cover his nakedness, who neither showed justice nor mercy to any under his control, the weaker vessels not excepted, 
therefore edward was convinced that it was in vain to hope for comfort under such a master moreover his appetite for liquor combined with a high temper rendered him a being hard to please but easy to excite to a terrible degree scarcely had edward lived two years with this man gay when he felt that he had lived with him long enough two years previous to his coming into the hands of gay he and his wife were both sold the wife one day and he the next she brought eleven hundred and twenty-five dollars and he eight hundred and thirty-five dollars thus they were sold and resold as a matter of speculation and husband and wife were parted after the fugitives had been well cared for by the committee they were forwarded on north but for some reason they were led to stop short of canada readily finding employment and going to work to take care of themselves how they were received and in what way they were situated the subjoined letter from edward will explain skinny atlas december seventeenth eighteen fifty seven dear sir as i promised to let you hear from me as soon as i found a home i will now fulfil my promise to you and say that i am alive and well and have found a stopping-place for the winter when we arrived at syracuse we found mr loguen ready to receive us and as times are rather hard in canada he thought best for us not to go there so he sent us about twenty miles west of syracuse to skinny atlas where george upshur and myself soon found work henry grimes is at work in garden about eight miles from this place if you should chance to hear any of my friends inquiring for me please direct them to skinny atlas onondaga county new york if you can inform me of the whereabouts of miss alice jones i shall be very much obliged to you until i can pay you better i forgot to ask you about her when i was at your house she escaped about two years ago please not to forget to inquire of my wife rachel land and if you should hear of her let me know immediately george upshur and myself send our best respects to you and your family remember us to mrs jackson and miss julia i hope to meet you all again if not on earth may we so live that we shall meet in that happy land where tears and partings are not known let me hear from you soon this from your friend and well-wisher edward lewis formerly but now william brady george upshur the third in this arrival was also a full man slavery had robbed him shamefully it is true nevertheless he was a man of superior natural parts physically and intellectually despite the efforts of slaveholders to keep him in the dark he could read and write a little his escape in the manner that he did implied a direct protest against the conduct of dr thomas w upshur of richmond virginia whom he alleged deprived him of his hire and threatened him with immediate sale he had lived in north carolina with the doctor about two years as a slave his general treatment had been favorable except for a few months prior to his flight which change on the part of his master led him to fear that a day of sale was nigh at hand in fact the seventh of july had been agreed upon when he was to be in richmond to take his place with others in the market on sale day his hasty and resolute move for freedom originated from this circumstance he was well known in norfolk and had served almost all his days in that city 
these passengers averaged about six feet and were of uncommonly well-developed physical structure the pleasure of aiding such men from the horrors of carolina slavery was great end of section twenty eight